This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This Kiki is p.m. on Joy 94.9 and 21st 21st Century Women is where you found yourself with Lindsay, Hannah and Greta exploring the fun side of feminism for the next hour. Uh, Hannah, how are you tonight? Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited. We've got a special guest on tonight. I'm feeling pretty peppy for nine o'clock. Clock. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know where I found that. I feel like Peppy too. <laughs> uh, huge thanks to the Well, Well, Well team for keeping us company for the past hour. And Robert on the front desk. Nice to have you back again. We missed you last week. Yeah, as Hannah mentioned, huge show coming up tonight. Uh, very shortly, we'll hear from a special quiet guest in the studio, Amanda Barber from the Femme Andist Film Festival, hopefully she'll be able to give us uh, some pointers on how to correctly pronounce the name of the festival. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're also... We're not good at pronunciation on this show, It's actually pretty simple, but... Well, obviously... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee! Obviously, I didn't spend enough time practicing in real life uh, just in my head. from Malarsky. We always (laughs) be on our best behaviour tonight. Uh, We're also going to quickly touch on brolates, whatever Mm. that means. Mm. and check in with uh, Lena Dunham. Dunham, uh, what she's been up to. Lena Dunham. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I just I've heard I've heard a bit off air of your your opinion of. Yeah, we'll it get just into that later. It seems suitable. Mm. Uh, but as mentioned before, we came on air. It is Transgender Day of Rem- Remembrance today, a day where we mourn and remember trans and gender diverse people all over the world who have endured violence as a result of their gender. Uh, that's an important day for us to remember here at Joy. November twentieth uh, is. The Transgender Day of Remembrance. And I believe last week is like a week leading up to the day to celebrate trans people in the community as well. We spoke to a trans elder uh, here at Joy a few weeks ago, Tony. She's a receptionist and made her first ever short film about her life. Um, and we actually podcasted that today, finally, that interview. That <laughs> sounds like a good thing, but actually it's a month late. But um, no, we, uh, we got it up on air and it was a really touching interview. So that interview with Tony is now uh, available on the Joy website of under 21st century mm. women. Mm. It's a great interview. Oh, mm. 
very, very touching. Yeah, it was very touching. And Tony was very, very generous with her answers and her thoughts. We were very lucky. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're um, happy, of course, to acknowledge that day, even though it's a really sad day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad that I was reading today that already this year, 26 trans people have been murdered in the US. Just the stats are really... Mm-hmm grizzly so yeah if that's yeah there are helplines of course and people you could talk to in the community if that's something you're concerned about in your own life yes thanks for that greta um now we might introduce our special guest for the evening amanda Uh barber welcome to the show (laughs) it is a pleasure to have you here on the on the show we've invited amanda in tonight because she is the artistic director of an upcoming film festival. Can you pronounce it? No! <laughs> Can you do it for me? To be honest, it's a lot easier to read written down than mm. it is to say out loud because it's Femme Ampistan, so the answer mm. than is. Because when me and my friend were brainstorming on Facebook, she just wrote it out one time and was like, oh, Femme Andis, oh my God, like amazing. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. And then I regretted it as soon as I started <laughs> talking about the festival because Australians don't like pronouncing things. They're a little bit tricky to say. So oh, like, really? Every time I give someone my business card, they're like, fem, fem, oh, okay, femo. Like, <laughs> so, and, yeah. and the IST stands for something special, doesn't it? Well, it's meant to refer to intersectionalism mm-hmm. because that is central to the way we operate. Like, I wouldn't be down for feminism unless it did recognise intersectional oppression mm-hmm. and how that operates at a wider, like, sociological level. So, yeah, because the thing is, like, while we're doing our best to, like, dismantle systemic oppression, uh, oppression we don't want to perpetuate it, and that's something that's quite easy to do, especially when you're, like, me, so white, cisgendered, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of privilege that comes in that, so it means that intersectional feminism is something where you need to listen, mm. like, probably more so than speak. Amanda, can I ask Greta here, hiding behind the computer screen? Sorry about that. You get to see half my face. It's probably a treat, actually. <laughs> you look wonderful this evening. I know. Thank you. I know some of our listeners, and I know even I don't fully understand. I mean, I do understand what intersectional means, but I think it is a more modern word in terms of how we're using it, you know, in our queer community and with regards to feminism. Are you able to uh, describe what it means and how you're referring to it with regards to your film festival? So basically intersectional feminism, I actually said this to you in an email just before, mm. like while I understand why you asked the question and I'm happy to explain to the best of my knowledge, like as I was saying before, like it, so intersectionalism is basically how different identities interact with each other and how some are more privileged than others. So, But what's central to understanding is how those power dynamics work is self-representation. So being able to define on your own terms how your identity politics interact with systemic disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So for me, as like a cisgendered white person, I can't really tell you how trans misogyny works or misogyny of course. works. But I can listen and I can organise for some cool people to come to Australia and mm. they can talk and show their films and then, yeah, just created an audience for it, really. Yeah, of course, and you can uh, learn to have empathy and to hear people's stories and grow from that. Yeah, exactly. So, like, even though I, like, coordinated this festival, I don't really speak much during the festival because I think it's important for people like me to listen. So, yeah. That's bloody wise of you because most people who run a film festival want to have a good old harp on about it, so... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I do like the sound of my own voice, but... <laughs> don't same. we all? Apparently, yeah. apparently Except for Lindsay. We're working yeah. on that, though. Mm. <laughs> apparently the sweetest word in the English language is your own name. Is it? Yeah. <gasps> They've done studies into that. So it's Greta 
Oh, <laughs> see, look at her go. She's writhing in her seat. <laughs> now, this, this is a bit of a bigger question and I wouldn't expect you to, you know, be able to answer it, but um, why do you think that intersectional voices and identities aren't as privileged as other voices? Miranda Tapsell explained this pretty well. She's an Indigenous actress and she was basically... She was on air with Naika Louie, I think, and she was basically like all women experience sexism but black women will experience sexism as well as racism so the glass the glass ceiling gets thicker relative to your identity so if you're a queer black woman it would be thicker again if you're a trans queer black woman it would be even thicker mm-hmm. so it's those kind of identity politics that interact with each other and that's such yeah. a good clear analogy because mm. most people know what the concept of the glass ceiling is yeah so explaining it with layers like that is really um it's helpful i think if people aren't quite sure how it works. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad to quote someone that isn't me, so I can just thank Miranda <laughs> for that one. Because <laughs> she's awesome. Like, I would love to invite her to my festival one year because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a bit of background about where the festival came from? It's the first year of the festival, so how did yeah. it sort of come to be? Uh, Berlin. I was at Berlin Feminist Film Week last year and it was amazing. Like, every session sold out. It was had really good screenings and everything. So I went up to the festival director afterwards and was like, oh my god, like, what a cool festival. How long have you been in the film industry? Because, like, I work on the film festival circuit in France. And she was just like, oh no, I don't know anything about films. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you're running this really cool festival and you don't know anything about films. She's like, yeah, I'm just doing my master's in sociology. She's Swedish. So, like, I might be trying to move my cracks. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, yeah, she was just like, I just do this as a side project. Like, well, I'm doing, I'm a sociologist. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, if you can do it, I reckon I probably can as well. So, when I came back to Australia, I entered a competition for startup enterprises at my university, coaxed them into giving me some money. And that's how we came to exist. Good on you. Thank you. I was competing against medical technology. So, I was there, like, in front of 20 <laughs> people saying, you know what's more important than, like, potentially life saving medical equipment? <laughs> Films, feminist ones, <laughs> give me the money. And yeah, so like I didn't actually win the prize. The dean was just like, I can see you tried really hard, so I'll make up a new prize for you. Oh, so I was like, oh, thanks, Edwina. Yeah, I emailed her today. I was like, by the way, like, I don't know if you remember me, but like, if you want to come to the festival, I'll put you on the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shrewd. She's a nice lady. I like her. <laughs> <laughs> How many films are you showing over the, um, or the festival? Well, four days at a glance? Uh, so it's a five-day festival. Five. We have three feature-length films and then two series of short films. And within each series of short films, I think there's four a piece. So four plus four plus three. It's like 11 or something? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm glad. I should go for one of those uh, science grants by the sound of things. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. I'd be good at that. Yeah, and you've got some really great, there's really great sessions. One is called Gender Futurism, mm. which I love the sound of, and Gender Queer Romance. Yeah. Um, it all sounds amazing. Why is this kind of cinema important, do you reckon? Because it's freaking amazing. So, like we, so for those two sessions, they're two films that are done by the same filmmaker, Esther Bergsmack, and we picked her up from the, oh, picked them up from the airport last night, and um, so excited. So basically, <laughs> like, it's a similar thing to what I was talking about. So basically, uh, Esther's a genderqueer filmmaker, and how do I explain it? It's like. That comes across in their work in so many ways because... So, She Mouse Nails, for example, is a documentary, but the documentary in itself, like, oscillates between fantasy and reality in a lot of profound ways, whether that's through the soundscape or through the images or through the narrative order. Like, they're very creative in the way in which they articulate their own identity and gendered reality, really. And then the second 
film is a fiction, technically, but then there's non-fiction elements in that um, because Eli wrote the screenplay and Eli's very close with Esther and then, yeah. Mm. So it's all really interesting. But the thing that actually irked me a lot in researching Something Must Break, so the film about gender queer identities, is that all these well-known critiques and everything online were calling it a trans film. And I thought for so long that Esther was a trans woman because that's what I had done my research and that told me was right. But watching it after seeing She Mouse Nails, I was like, oh, actually, let me just come back to this in a minute. No worries. You're on 21st Century Women on Joy with Lindsay, Hannah and Greta and special guest Amanda from the Femme and Ist Film Festival. (laughs) Good work, Lindsay. (laughs) I like it. Because you could say feminist. No, you can't. You have to hit the end, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Get in touch. 04... 0427. Joy, no, did you just forget the number for a second? <laughs> I rarely read out phone numbers except for my own, um, which I was not... You were doling out the other day in public, <laughs> weren't you? She just stands down on Berkstreet. Well, 0427 is Joy949. That's 0427-569-949. And, of course, you can email us on air at joy.org.au. century women on Joy with Lindsay, Hannah and Greta, exploring the fun side of feminism for the next 46 minutes. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're joined in the studio tonight by special guest Amanda Barber, the artistic director from the upcoming Femme and Ist Festival. Which Film looks Festival. so good. Yeah. It looks, yeah, looks fabulous. Thanks. Extremely uh, exciting. Uh, Amanda, I was wondering if you could maybe take us through the process of kind of curating the lineup, I guess you would call it, of the films that you've got coming up. Yeah. Um, Well, it was always going to start with Aboriginal feminism because we're in Australia. So that was always an obvious choice to me. And that's something that we'll be doing every year because, like, any feminist event in Melbourne, at least, worth us. So we'll have a welcome to country. And I'm like, well, why? would I invite these elders to do Welcome to Country and then talk about a different demographic? Like, if we're doing mm, a Welcome a to Country, let's yeah, mm. talk about Indigenous women. And, like, because I've had a lot of help from Indigenous women in curating that because I found Beck Cole somehow and then as soon as I... I just messaged her on Facebook and I was like, oh, I'm doing this festival, do you want to come? And she's like, okay. And then she's put me in touch with the producer, he's put me in touch with other people, so people within that community I think will be helping me curate as we go along and from the get-go I messaged Nay Kagori and was like hey I'm doing this festival I'm gonna fuck it up because I am not Aboriginal so do you want to advise me on how not to mess everything up and she was like yeah cool so (laughs) (laughs) so she's told me about how to like curate safe spaces and stuff like that um and I'm hoping to get a more diverse team as we go along to help me curate things to make sure that everyone is represented on their own terms kind of thing uh and then women in war zones I think I thought of that, maybe. And then I just pitched it to, like, my two programmers. One is an Ecuadorian woman, Maite Garzala, who's, yeah, she's doing a PhD in Melbourne, but she's from Ecuador. And the other is my friend Dorothy in London, who's a documentary filmmaker, who I've never met. Like, I say she's my friend, I've never met this person. (laughs) But, like, my... You can be online friends. Yeah, pretty much. Like... I'd say we're friends. Like, we're Facebook friends. Hmm. So... (laughs) Hey, I now live with a Twitter friend. 
Wow. Yes. That's weird. So, I mean, but that's Greta. Yeah. <laughs> it's Greta. I mean, we met, met in real life She's first, inherently strange. But... <laughs> Did you tweet them to, like, get you yeah, to the paper or like, something? Yeah. <laughs> I should have. Like, neither of us are on Twitter anymore, but anyway, that's not the point. Mm. Well, you don't <laughs> need it. Yeah. You live together. That took a dark turn, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so basically um, I thought of Women in War Zones and I was like, okay, bring me the knowledge, what do you guys reckon? Because they're on different continents, so that helps. And then the Flanus series was Dorothy's idea because Dorothy and I both speak French and I think she's lived in France. I've lived in France. So, yeah, we're like, that's a good idea. And then the gender futurism and gender queer romance stuff. I always wanted to bring, like, someone from the trans or gender diverse community to Australia just because that's where I feel like our queer cinema is lacking at least in Melbourne so that was something that I always wanted to do then Cherise from the Czech Film Festival advised me to check out Esther's work I did I loved it then I messaged Esther on Facebook and was like hello like (laughs) come to Australia and she thought I was joking but I was like no no like (laughs) come over and she's like all right I'll go to the beach I was like cool (laughs) social media is amazing like that you can just connect with anyone yeah yeah. Awesome. I couldn't thought. find anyone's email. Like, if I had their emails, I would have done the professional thing. Yeah. Of like, hello, I'm a responsible adult. But I couldn't find it. So I was like, fuck it. I'll just flick them a message. Oh. And Worked out. 27 Joy 949. We're talking to Amanda Barber from the Femme and Ist Film Festival, which kicks off this week at Acme, at Hairs and Hyenas, Cage Me, a Peacock Gallery. What was your, um, doing your first ever festival, was it your intention to to have it at a few different venues or is that just sort of how it unfolded in the organising process? No, it was because um, I went to a public lecture last year by Dr Romaine Morton. She's a phenomenal um, Indigenous academic and like her PhD is so good that two other people have done their PhD on her PhD. (laughs) Wow. Because she's just freaking amazing. What was was the PhD on? Decolonising the cinematographic games. Writing that down on your sheet, Greta. (laughs) (laughs) I I can email her website and everything to you. Great. She's... You should get her on this show, actually. Yeah. yeah. She has a lot of good stuff to say. I can send you We're a liking you, Amanda. Yeah. We love planning the show on the show. I'm not <laughs> kidding. We do it all the time. Yeah. No, because honestly, like... You can organise our show, too. Yeah, yeah. that would actually as well as- be... <laughs> so what was her advice that then led you to sort of spread out the festival? It's not that she gave me advice. It's just that her presentation that I saw was basically creating a methodology wherein you decolonise the cinematographic gaze. Because if you are... A Can you say that? Decol- decolonise and moisturise the cinematographic gaze. <laughs> See, you don't need to moisturise. Cinema like to... Cinematographic Okay, gaze. Mm. Got it. Yeah, so it's basically yeah. when you point the camera somewhere, that is a gaze as in like if a person was looking mm. somewhere. And the way you look at something contextualises for the audience how they should look at it as well. So huh. if you're like hell arrogant and looking down on someone, like who's this dumb person, then like say if you literally are standing up and there's someone like asking for money on the street and you look down on them, that tells the audience you're above this person, so look at them in a condescending way. Whereas if you oh. meet someone at eye level, that kind of levels the playing field a bit more. Of course. So there's a lot of different ways that the gaze works and that's what feminism feminists talk about a lot in film. It's yes. like, oh, male sexualized gaze, but I'm a bit like, I'm sick of... Like, yeah. I, I, very, that, that's 70s, like that's nothing new. So I prefer to get more complex when we talk about the gaze than just saying, oh men sexualize women i'm like yeah but i don't care like mm. I, I don't know like maybe i should but i'm just like just because you look at me in a certain way that defines your perception of me not my perception of myself yes so you're saying that we're sort of conditioned through what we see on in cinema 
or oh. television as to how we then see the world when we turn the television off or... Well, even more so than that. Like, if you upload a selfie, you up, you point the gaze of the camera to be a flattering angle. So, at this angle, I look thin. At this angle, mm-hmm. I look fun. Mm-hmm. So... Here's <laughs> my triple chin. I'm a bit self-deprecating. Yeah, so we curate the way we look for other people to see us in a certain way and that extends as well into how we want people to see other people if you're a filmmaker. That's a great description. Amanda, we keep taking you on tangents. So, you went to this lecture and from this lecture... Yeah. Yeah, the basic premise, if I'm explaining it correctly, is that the process by which you decolonise the gaze is by deconstructing it and then reconstructing it. So what um, Remain did was take a lot of footage from the 20s that, like, settlers were filming of Aboriginals and stuff, taking it out of its original context, which is like, oh, look at savages or whatever, and... um, so she would cut it up and say intertwine footage of Aboriginals with footage of like cattle because she's saying that's how they saw and treated Aboriginals at that point in time. So when you right. cut things up and make their message explicit like that, it's a mm. lot more confronting for say an Anglo-Australian audience like me to see. Of course. And then furthermore, she like projects some of these images on a white lab coat to signal like the scientific like etymological gaze that a mm-hmm. lot of people had of indigenous cultures at that mm-hmm. time yeah, the so, human zoo sort of yeah. movement that mm. happened in the 1800s and stuff yeah. exactly so the whole deconstructing this film going experience thing I was like oh I can use this because like I asked them after the thing like do you mind if I apply this kind of theory to my work? And she was like, yeah, like, that's what it's for. It's a methodology for everyone to use. So I was like, oh, I'm on it. So so what did I do? So, like, for example, an application of that is in the Women in Warzone series. Instead of doing something, like, institutionalised, like a QA and a panel where you put someone, like, on display, I, I find panels a weird thing. You do because feel very on display. <laughs> yeah. you, you feel on display. You're there for the sole purpose of being interrogated by others and not articulating yourself in your own truth in the way that you would like to. So to avoid doing that entirely, I was like, that's an institutionalised mode of communication. What if I just asked a bunch of slam poets who have either <laughs> <laughs> familiar identity politics that are relative to war to come do that instead? So then instead of them being put on display for our interrogation. They can just articulate their own truths in whatever ways they feel comfortable. So I know Ariel Cottingham and Idil Ali are both experienced slime poets, so they're going to do their thing. But I know Pauline Wyman, wants, she's Aboriginal and she wants to have a yarn. Mm. So I was like, I... I don't think that's slime poetry, but I think that's what comes naturally to you, so I'm happy for you to do that. Because mm. that's another thing that I thought it was really important to have an Aboriginal in the slam poetry for women in war zones because even though we don't normally think about Aboriginal communities as being at war at all that refugee, or that Aboriginals can be refugees if they stay in Australia, they kind of are. Like, even as recently yeah. as 2015 when they were closing, like, West Australian remote communities, like, there was... If you throw someone out of their homelands, that still makes them a refugee. So, of yeah. Course. So mm. that whole dispossession narrative and everything whatever so yeah it's important that aboriginals speak on that panel as well as people from like the african diaspora and everything yeah and war zones that we tend to traditionally consider war zones yeah but uh, there's in western media exactly there is a slightly colonial component to why we think about war zones in the way that we do so people think because i noticed this when i was looking this up like if anyone is black or muslim people think oh they're at war but like <laughs> war exists anywhere like you know as late mm. as the 90s there was the civil war in bosnia and everything and those refugees are white so yeah of course like all the terrorism in ireland and yeah, yeah. so there is like i think that white people put ourselves and our own kinds of conflict on a pedestal and then think of war as something that's foreign but you know conflict and armed conflict mm. exists in all kinds of contexts um 
Do you think that we're starting to see greater representation in the mainstream for uh, lesbian, trans and genderqueer identities or are you observing any kind of trends over time? It's interesting, just before I came on air, we were talking about me being in the Critics Campus at Melbourne International Film Festival. There was a film by... Who's that? He's a philosopher dude. Um, his film was called Song to Song and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I'll shoot myself later for... <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> right. But basically, yeah. there was a scene, because like, I'm bisexual, and then in the movie there was a bisexual woman. And I was like, cool, I never <laughs> see this. Like, great, you kiss that girl after your <laughs> heterosexual relationship. That's awesome. And then later, everyone else in the, like my critics campus group was like, oh sexualizing, fetishizing lesbians, blah, 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 because this chick was just chilling. She's a French lady who's chilling outside in her lingerie. And I was like, well, if I had nice lingerie, I'd be chilling outside in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. didn't see the, like, talking about the gays, like, I didn't see the gays as something that was sexualized. I just saw mm. it as someone chilling naked, which is what I love doing. I but, agree, um, yeah. though. Sometimes the representation, you, it's baby steps. It's like, mm. no, we've got this character. Let's not then pull the character apart because yeah. mm. it's not you mm. or your experience. It's like, let's... Well, yeah, like, the best representation will always be from within the community. So a bisexual filmmaker will always show that better than a heterosexual man. Um, but, yeah, it depends. Like, we've come a long way from Brokeback Mountain. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, thoughts? Uh, mine or anyone else's? <laughs> Yours, anyone else's? No, I mean, we're going to be off track, but I was, like, a bit intrigued by your reaction. Anyway. 0427JOY949. We've been speaking to Amanda Barber from the Femme Andest Film Festival. Uh, the Film Festival is this week, the 22nd to the 26th of November. You can get tickets at acme.net.au or the main website for Amanda's festival, festival, which I'll spell it out to you just so it's nice and clear, F-E-M-A-N-D-I-S-T films.org. And as we were discussing, touching on briefly before, the films are happening at Acme at Hairs and Hyenas, and you're also having a free event at Cage Me a Peacock Gallery. Mm, I'm hoping to find one, a peacock. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, if I had a peacock, I'm going to put it in the You're on 21st Century Women on Joy, Lindsay, Hannah, Greta and Amanda Barber from the <laughs> Femme Andest Film Festival opening this coming Wednesday at Acme. Uh, Amanda, just before you were telling us about your uh, event coming up at the venue Cage Me a Peacock, mm. uh, did you want to just wrap up uh, the point that we just left on? <laughs> Basically, um, the, the way in which people interact with the urban environment is predetermined by your gender. So a guy walking down the street has a very ex different experience to a woman walking down the street. So, for example, I could walk down the street tonight as I'm going home and get street harassment. Most guys won't experience that. So it's investigating how different demographics within the spectrum of those gendered female experience things like walking down the street, going to the skate parks and that. So we have like a short film about Muslim girls taking over a skate park, a short film about the queer cub culture, short film about street harassment and another, uh, one of Beck Cole's films actually, that takes place in um, Alice Springs. So that's about geopolitical isolation and that kind of stuff. Yeah, beauty. You can find tickets for the festival and all the other info that you need at, what was that website again, Greta? F-E-M. Femme and Ist Films. F-E-M-A-N-D-I-S-T Films.org or uh, at acme.net.au 
only for the films that are screening at ACME. But to get tickets to Hairs and Hyenas, uh, go to feministfilms.org. That's right. Hopefully I'll see you guys there. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.